Hey everyone, welcome to our weekly Q&A. I am Jaime and I'm here with... I'm Alex. Yeah, how you doing Alex? How was the weekend? It was good, it was good. We had a great day at uh, Woods on Sunday and glad to be back here on the studio, ready to go. Yeah, we had uh, the youth group doing their uh, breakfast burrito. World famous. It was so good. I'm so glad they were here. Uh, I almost wish that we were doing that every week, but I don't think my stomach would agree with that. We had world famous breakfast burritos, we had Chatham Surf sign up, Scott, it was Mother's Day, we had a lot of things going on on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm glad then that uh, Sunday is done, even though it was a great Sunday, and now we're here, and uh, we're ready to field some questions. Yeah, so on Sunday, we talked about uh, Philippians 2, great passage, really rich passage, uh, talked a lot about community, uh, talked a lot about if you have any comfort with your experience with Christ, that uh, Paul encourages his church, people he loves, to be like-minded, had the same spirit, and uh, to care for each other really well, and then had the same mindset of Christ, as Christ, and then he launches into this beautiful hymn that he's probably riffing or stealing or copying or uh, quoting, citing, and uh, from there he calls the uh, Philippians to walk in community together, again, in really wonderful ways, like without complaining or arguing or grumbling, which we'll talk about in a little bit um, as well. So we got some uh, we got some questions here, and uh, to start with, actually, at, at, at Paul's opening salvo, he talks about... Uh, the the Philippians encourages the Philippians to be like minded, having the same mind. Uh, there's a couple different places in that, and I actually didn't have time to unpack that. I, I sort of opted from a different to kind of take a different angle on it. But uh, but Hi Manchin, you took a good crack at that. So why don't you kind of recap for those of us who weren't here at Pittsburgh on Sunday? What you think? What particularly what's the difference between like mindedness versus same thinking or groupthink? Because groupthink is such a danger, just a dangerous thing in our culture, our society. Uh, so what's the difference between being like-minded and same thinking or groupthink? Yeah, I actually spent a little bit of time talking about it, particularly because I think it's one of the barriers for people to engage in community and particularly in some religious communities. I think there are there are instances where uh, same thinking becomes the rule of the day. And when you crank same thinking up to 11 you know, yeah. or, or higher... You get situations that feel almost cultish, if not cultish per se. And so it's it's particularly dangerous, and it can create a sense of apprehension into community. So it, it can't be what Paul is talking about. There must be something different. And uh, when, when I think of, of the difference between like-mindedness and same thinking, uh, the, the thing that comes to mind is that in same thinking, there is a, a cohesion around a large set of things that one needs to agree with or one needs to hold, but the decision of what those things are, what what we need to think the same about, is usually made by the people in power. And usually that that those things are the things that they already think. Right. And so then same thinking becomes uh, an instrument of of power and oppression, and it discourages a sort of independent, rigorous thought. Uh, in fact, it silences, it shuns it, it shames it. So when you see those sorts of things, you know you're in, you can suspect you're in a same thinking environment. I think when Paul is talking about like-mindedness in community, he's talking about this reality that that communities need to have a set of values, a set of beliefs, uh, sort of a set of guiding principles that they agree on. Every community has them, and if they don't, the community crumbles at the first sign of challenge, at the first sign of conflict, because they realize there is nothing actually that they coalesce around. 
So I think like-mindedness is these, these things that we coalesce around. The, the challenge for community is to balance the tension between like-mindedness while allowing the space, so, so, so balance the, the core values, uh, the core beliefs, while still allowing space for the kind of rigorous, independent thought engagement that, that allows the community to apply its values to the sorts of different circumstances that start to emerge. Independent thought, thought engagement, and like-mindedness actually strengthens a community because it allows it to adapt to the new and ongoing realities. And that's what I think Paul is inviting the community to. And it, it costs everyone something. With, with same thinking, it only costs the people who are entering in new or who are not in power. With like-mindedness, it costs everyone something because everyone needs to let go of some things that they thought of, adapt some things that they thought of, to sort of coalesce or subsume some things that they think in order to be a part of this like-minded community. Another sign that I think sometimes distinguishes like-mindedness from same thinking is that in like-mindedness, there is room to question authority. There's room to be to be engaged with thoughtful questions. Uh, now, it's not it's not the sense of, of uh, subverting authority, but there is room to voice. Right. You know, there is room to voice different opinions. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think I really like the way you distinguish those things and, and, and thinking about the idea of you know, even as a church, right? As a, as a church, as, as a community church, we've decided to try to be a big tent kind of a church, which means which means uh, you don't we're, we have no formal position on our end times theology, right? Whereas if you really want to get super nerdy, we could sort of uh, plenty of churches do have have worked out to the nth degree every sort of theological sort of. Uh, question as a part of their constitution, as part of their core set of beliefs. And we've just said, hey, you know what? We're going to have a, a big tent with Jesus at the center, right? His life, death, resurrection, mission. These are kind of the core things that we're sort of following around. And we're going to be allowed, we're going to be okay with people having different beliefs or opinions. And, and this, our, our hope is, our prayer is, and so far it's proved to be true, that the having a like-mindedness around Jesus' life, death, resurrection, mission enables the space or creates the space for us to have different opinions and not not lose sight of what's most important. So off so much of the time in same thinking, groupthink kind of organizations or places, that groupthink extends to so many, you know, so many places, so many details, so so to the to, to a degree of control over the individual or demand for uh, uh, sort of a rigorous subsuming of everything and uh kind of every detail of all the minutiae of your lives sort of prescribed that, uh, that there's no room for some of that difference and differentiation. And so we, we, we've tried to create that space where we're like-minded around Jesus and even inviting people who, are, who aren't like-minded around Jesus to, to take a step inside the tent and see what it looks like, right? And, and ex- examine and evaluate it. But to say, this is actually the thing that keeps us to get that, 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 that core principles, those core principles that sort of, that we coalesce around. This is the center of it. This is the like-mindedness piece that we try to work out practically at our church together. Yeah. And I, I, so I I think another thing to observe is that there, there could be some communities that form that become sort of an echo chamber. And so it's hard to tell if they are, if you're in it, if you're in a like-minded or a same thinking community, because there's already sort of high level of agreement uh, or even not even thought to question. Uh, One of the ways to sort of diagnose, I think, is to consider 
how you would react as a community to someone coming with a different point of view. If your assumption is they are wrong immediately, they must be wrong. Uh, rather than taking a posture of, okay, let's listen. I don't agree. Let's listen. And maybe we'll decide that we don't agree. And maybe we'll decide that we think that they're wrong. But if there's an immediately an immediate sense of defensiveness, of a wall coming up, of a pushing away, of sort of creating an us-them, then I think there might be, there could be some, some same thinking. Uh, one of the unique things also is that same thinking can also happen. You can also operate individually in a same thinking mentality, uh, uh, and it can affect the type of people that you want to associate with. Right. So if your uh, posture, if our, if our posture is already, um, if people are going to be in community with me, then they must think the way I think about X number of things, then you might be, you might be adopting a same thinking mentality instead of a like-minded mentality. If you use it to sort of immediately say, well, you know, if here's this checklist, you, you think this way, you act this way, you do this, you believe that, uh, otherwise you can't be in community with me, then you, you, you might be, you might be, I'm not saying you are, but you might be approaching a sort of same thinking posture. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I've got one more for you from someone here at Pittsburgh. The uh, the portion of the passage that y'all read, and you read a little bit further than I did last uh, this past Sunday. It, at one point, Paul exhorts the Philippians and us to uh, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And so, this person was wanted a, a follow up on uh, working out our salvation. What does that look like? What does that mean? So, uh, let's maybe take a pass at that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll do a, a sort of a brief tag on it and and give you a chance to take a crack, and then maybe I'll have a little bit more to say. Uh, in, in summary, I'll say the difference between working out our salvation and working for our salvation. Uh, we're not saying working for our salvation. We're not saying that you're going to do things to earn your salvation. Uh, working out our salvation is that in light of salvation, there are implications. Mm-hmm. And so working out our salvations is figuring out what the implications of being saved are. Uh, In some theological traditions, they might call this the sanctification process. Uh Uh, In fact, someone in my small group uh, sort of identified that. He's like, oh, yeah, I think that's sanctification. And I think uh, that person was onto something. And so when Paul talks about working our salvation, he's acknowledging, which I think is not only true in sort of a young church environment, but it's true in an ongoing basis that when there's this, this transformative moment, there's the rest of our lives ahead of us and our salvation isn't a get out of hell free card. It's not only that, uh, or it's not that at all. There is more, there are implications in how we live and we don't all know them the minute we That's right. turn to follow Jesus. That's right. Yeah, I love the idea of sort of working out salvation being so salvation salvation has occurred. We are we we are uh there's a way to talk about uh, sort of salvation as I was saved 2000 years ago at the cross. Mm-hmm. I was saved the moment I received and trusted in Christ. And then I'm being saved every day on the way, right? Yeah. There's this, there's an on the wayness actually about this whole idea of working on our salvation where we're that, that salvation is continually by God's spirit, uh, being worked out in me and fresh seasons of family life or work life, uh, age, life stage, the questions, the types of questions, like you said, not every, not every implication of salvation is immediate apparent, immediately apparent and be, and in part because, uh, uh, there are uh, 
facets of salvation that only become apparent uh, in your final days on this earth, right? And, and there's ways where that, there's ways that I'll we'll wrestle with that when that day comes in a different way than I am today, uh, by God's grace, assuming I have years ahead. So I think the idea of working out our salvation for it is God who works in you, that that idea of sort of partnering with the Spirit, cooperating with the Spirit, uh, surrendering to the Spirit, we talked about that some last week. I think that there's uh, there's no, there's not a uh, this, this isn't an anxious fearful if you don't do this you're going to lose your salvation some of those sort of things but it is a a, a real call to uh, to to working out the implications of salvation on the way yeah and I think intuitively we know that because for example salvation has implications on on marriage for example right but if uh, when I turn to follow Jesus I am not married. I'm not going to figure those out until I start the process of marriage. Right. Uh, and, you know, you, you mentioned there are some that aren't going to become clear until end of life. There are some uh, implications uh, for salvation in, in life in retirement, That's right. uh, in life facing terminal diseases that you might know in theory some of it early on. But you're not going to work it out the impl- until you're there. Mm-hmm. So some of us, there's some implications that we're never going to face this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, but but some of them we, we we know that we only we only start to figure out when we're engaged in the situation. Yeah. One of the other things that I think is is crucial to this idea of working out is to bring in the idea of community. There's actually a value in yeah, that. That's great. Because when when we turn to follow Jesus, though we are made new, we come with a whole set of assumptions, of bias, of just upbringing. There's stuff that we bring with us. Uh, and and being in community allows other people to help us figure out how those are affecting our understanding mm. of the implications of salvation. So actually we work out those implications together because no one of us has it figured out. I talked about yesterday that none of us is born having the same love as everybody else, having the same mindset as everybody else, uh, even predisposed to thinking about others above ourselves. And so when we, when we are part of this community, or one of the reasons why I think Paul talks about this in the context of community, is that we need others yeah. to figure out what it looks like to be like-minded. Uh, we need others to figure out what are the implications of salvation, even in our relationships with our peers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I shared a story uh, yesterday for about a woman in my small group in her 40s and grew up, uh, has never been in any church environment ever up until uh, us about three years ago. And she talked about growing up in a, a family that was totally atheistic. And, and, I mean, she, t- and she shared like, who you surround yourself with shapes what's possible, plausible, or deny, or even desirable. Yeah. Right? What's, so, so she grew up in a family, and everyone in her family and all their friends, no one thought God was possible, plausible, or even desirable. They didn't even want there to be a God, right? right? And so, so that was her whole worldview until about three years ago, where suddenly she's got this whole new category called God of people who are living as if God is real, and it actually makes a difference in their lives. And so, suddenly after you know after three years with us, God now actually is possible, plausible, even desirable, and and that was totally shaped by the community experience right and not not in a way where her brain was checked checked at the door but uh it opened her up to new new possibilities and that community has been a significant part of uh capturing her imagination and shaping her understanding of what is possible plausible or even desirable and i think that's true for all of us as we're working on our salvation right to say i want to walk in humility which is such a big piece of the passage we talked about yesterday yeah or apply it in my marriage right as i as i see other people apply um principles jesus-like principles into their marriage i, I 
I began to understand, oh, that's, that's, that's a beautiful marriage. I see that in a way that I, I, I can maybe know intuitive or cognitively, but not necessarily uh, have the vision, same vision as seeing it being played out in a marriage that I see up close and personal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. I think one of the gifts of being in community uh, that I've, that I've received, but I've also seen other people receive is, is having people be able to hear your story and say, uh, actually that's not normal. Because <laughs> uh, there are uh, uh. so many things that you normalize. You say, "Oh, this is this is just the way it is. This is normative," and uh, then you sort of try to fit your Christian experience, your Christian understanding, your following of Jesus understanding into that. And the gift of community is that community can actually say, you don't need to fit your Christian experience into that. Your Christian experience can actually, you fit your whole life into your understanding of mm-hmm. Jesus. And, and, and the things that were like, that created sort of the boundaries then become the things that get adapted because Jesus starts to set the boundaries and community can do that for us. Um, and it, it, the, this then I think, uh, jumps into this idea of fear and trembling. Uh, it's not the sense I, I think of fear of being afraid of getting it wrong, and I'm glad that you brought that up. It's this idea of holding loosely the idea that any one of us has it all figured out. Right. It's being able to say, here's where I'm at right now on certain things, but I'm open to having the community, I'm open to having my ongoing walk shape that, maybe change some things, maybe adapt certain things about the implications of my salvation. And uh, I think that's what it means. It's, it's, it's sort of being apprehensive about saying, no, I know every single detail about the implications of my salvation, or maybe not even every single detail, but I know these five details for sure. Uh-huh. Being able to say, well, this is what I think right now are the implications. And I'm going to try to work that out faithfully, but I'm open to hearing and I'm open to, to reconsidering and I'm open to sort of holding it loosely. And you need community to be able to do that. Right. You need community to be able to do that. Well, in the middle of this whole passage about community, Paul drops some of the most densest theological sort of words, thinking, thoughts in this hymn that he quotes. And uh, because uh, you know, because the passage is about community and we really, we really talk about community, neither one of us did a whole lot of theological heavy lifting around the hymn itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, if you were going to take a pass at sort of what part of that hymn captures you or is intriguing to you, if you want to take a sort of the cutting room floor, director's cut version of if I was going to take a pass at this passage again and do more heavy lifting, we, I mean, we could do a whole podcast or two on uh, on just a phrase of these of these of the hymn that's so beautiful but uh honey you would take a crack what's uh, what's, some, what's something that captures your imagination about the hymn itself yeah the whole hymn grabs me but uh, <laughs> okay this, fair this, enough this is a forced choice uh-huh. which is fine uh i i am really 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 intrigued by the opening line huh. uh who being in the very talking about jesus who being in very nature god did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Other translations uh, have it as something to be grasped or held onto. This idea that, um, uh, the way I talked about it on Sunday, I meant I gave a brief passage saying that Jesus didn't use his status as leverage. Uh, uh-huh. uh, I am I, just the whole idea of of not considering equality with god something to be used to his own advantage is just i i could spend weeks Mm. just thinking about that Mm. uh, let alone uh, preaching about it there's just something mysterious Uh, uh about that that i want to know more about Uh because i i cannot think of a scenario where someone 
could, would acquire, let's let's say acquire, uh, godlike powers uh-huh. and not use them to their own advantage, even in benign ways, right? right? One of the the in sort of the the benevolent overlord kind of um, a trope. Uh, you know this 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 the, the the person wants to acquire all the power, and they can say it's so that they can do the greatest good. Right. But at no point is not having all the power uh, ever considered. Right. Like if the greatest good if that is them losing their power, that is never under consideration. Mm-hmm. And and yet they always use their power, their status as leverage. Yeah. Uh, and yet Jesus doesn't do that already has it mm-hmm. uh, and yet does not do, do does something compl- with, which feels counterintuitive yeah uh, and so I, I i i could spend hours talking about that i'm not going to right now but you know as, as you're talking about the passage and as, as you read it just then the thing that struck me about it and maybe for the first time is that um it's almost like a, a reverse of what adam and eve did Right, like they like not grasping for the apple, like not grasping for the thing that would like, that promises you something. This idea that this idea that Jesus has this thing in front of him and 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 opts not to reach out for something. Uh, there, there's a, there's some re, there's some interesting resonance to me in that in that just the imagery of that. And certainly Paul talks a lot, not in Philippians, but in other places about Jesus being the new Adam, the true Adam, the second Adam, those sort of things. Who one who doesn't fall for the temptations and the lies. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's a there's a way. Where it's sort of that not grasping, not striving, that the, and the and the image of the fall in Genesis three, where grasping and striving in some ways is at the core of sort of the fall, at the core of almost every sin is to grasp for something that's outside of the bounds of sort of what is godly, what is good, what is right, holy. So there's a way where um, I don't, Jesus grasping for equality, him not doing that is reversing that curse, and and in a in a different kind of a way, or living is that living out that second Adamness in a different kind of a way. But it is it is beautiful to think about the ways he uses power. Doesn't use power; he passes on power, and in that particular way, to do something greater. That's sacrificial, right? That that descending arc that whole first half of the hymn goes through. Yeah. How about you? If you were to nerd out on something, what would it be? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I. I, I I'm I'm learning I nerd out on the uh on on the the descending piece that that's there's there's so little of that that's naturally attractive to most of us uh, the 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 self humbling the obedience to death even death on a cross mm-hmm. uh, I talked I talked at Woods just about the idea of how do we essentially if Paul says at the opening his opening salvo like do, don't do anything you know don't look to your vain interests and self interest consider those before yourselves and basically the question is who's going to take care of me and Paul. Paul says, well, look at Jesus and God took care of him. Basically, God's going to take care of you. And how do you know that God's going to take care of you if you don't live a life of vain self-conceit and selfish ambition and pride? And who's, the reason why we do these things is because we want to make sure we're taken care of. And this idea that this idea that God takes care of Jesus, the, 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 the turn of the exaltation of Jesus, the crowning of, uh, of Jesus as Lord and Savior, and even the contrast between not not equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage or grasped, and then this this different thing handed to him, like right, this the Jesus grasping for something versus God giving something, right? Yeah. It's, it, essentially, that con- 
contrast of like striving versus receiving is is perhaps the it's perhaps the key exchange in our whole lives mm-hmm. with Jesus uh, uh, with God before God as human beings. What does it mean to not strive and grasp, but to re- have a receiving posture versus striving posture? Again, at every point where Jesus is both God but also perfectly human, the perfect human one who's showing us what humanity could be like or should be like. That uh, that contrast is uh, is really striking to me and uh, and and centering to me in a, in a really I think in a corrective way as I like to I, I like to sort of see things happen and make things happen. It's a really good. Good posture to say there are ways. There's activity here. Jesus is very active. He's not. He's not passive in any of this, really, right? Um, but the, the activity and what it means to sort of be active in a kingdom-minded kind of a godly way is uh, is, is really different. And that reception of what God does on the other side of that is uh, is pretty beautiful to me. It's pretty compelling to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even that that concept of being obedient even to death, yeah. death on a cross. Yeah. It. it it highlights, I think, one of the the places where I think we're tempted to hold back a little bit because in order to be obedient to death, right, death meaning you lose any agency you have that's left. That's right. That's right. You've got to be fully sold out on this belief that God is good. Yeah. Yep. You, you've got to be fully sold out that on the other side of that, that's right. God is going to do something that only God that's can right. do. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's a plunge into the abyss, just trusting that God's going to come through on his promises. Essentially, you just, you don't, essentially you don't get, it doesn't, the stakes don't get any higher than that. Right. Yeah. To sort of say, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bet my life that God, the father is going to raise me up just like he promised he would. Right. And to say, I'm going to plunge into that and just trust that the, that God will reach down and pluck me out is. Yeah, and that's hard. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's hard. It's mind, it's mind blowing to yeah. think about. Yeah. There are days where I don't know that I could be that obedient. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, I think most days I most don't, days, I don't yeah. know that I can be, I'm pretty yeah. sure I don't have that in me. Yeah. 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 It's always a good question uh, that I ask myself when I feel resistant to something that God is inviting me to is, is there a place where I'm doubting God's goodness? Absolutely. That's right. Yeah, I mean, when Jesus says the work of God is this to believe in the one He sent, like be- that believing is the core work. Like, I think Martin Luther says every disobedience essentially stems from a, an unbelief in God. Like, mm. like every every time we disobey God, the core of it is I don't believe that God is good. I have to find some other good, some other way, yeah. right? And so, the core work of 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 anything in the Christian life is starts with and and it starts with believing that God is good and that He's faithful and will come through in His promises, uh, and. That's exactly, that's really was what frees Jesus up to uh, to move forward and to even to death on a cross, which is amazing. yeah, and it's it's incredibly challenging because there are so many things that push us towards not trusting in God's goodness. I mean, if we track God's work in our lives, there's lots of evidence. Even there's even moments where we question it. There's lots of evidence to say God is good. But some of our sort of representations of God, the face that we see is sometimes God's people. And sometimes right. they disappoint so much. We disappoint ourselves so much, each other so much, that it can, it can feel like, well, these are the people who are supposed to represent God. How, how am I supposed to believe that God is good or trust when his people can sometimes do so much harm or, or, or can misrepresent him? Which takes us to this last part, because Paul talks about one of the core ways of being in community is to do things without grumbling or arguing. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes when we see God's people grumbling or arguing or backbiting, that doesn't seem good. Therefore, how can their God, the God that they represent or that we represent in yeah. our case, be good? So tell us, talk to us a little bit about the value of grum or, or value of of that statement of doing things without grumbling or arguing. So first off, right, the wildly important take home for this week is 
uh, no arguing or complaining or grumbling this week. Got it, everybody? Check. Good. You got that, Jaime? You're good uh, on that? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> right. So the, I, I'll, this, this, this was like on the cutting room floor for me this week. And that is I, I just finished um, rereading or actually on, li- listening to uh, C.S. Lewis's probably his greatest work called Till We Have Faces. It's a piece of fiction. He's rewriting, he's rewriting a piece of Greek mythology. And so if you need a good summer read, that's, that's got some like – nerdy theological side to it as well till we have faces probably critics say it's probably his best book and i think it probably is true um and uh in the book there's a woman who's who's writing her story and her story is a, a complaint against the gods against kind of set in greek mythology and she's a queen and uh she writes her story as a complaint against the gods and throughout the course of her story she tells her story and it's a long sort of story of loss and heartbreak but also accomplishment but then this regular kind of uh Come, uh, coming up against sort of the god or God or the gods who seem to be up against her. So this whole thing is kind of like a complaint against the gods. And, at the, and toward the end of the book, she gets an audience uh, before the judge, and she goes to read her complaint. This whole long book she's written that you've just read with her, and the whole complaint is just a few sentences. And the whole turn on it is you realize actually her whole – this whole thing. She thinks she's got this whole long laundry list of complaints, but actually her whole life has just been one complaint. And that, that one complaint has been the thing that has kept her from living in step with what God wanted her to do and living the life and becoming the person that God wanted her to become. And so essentially uh, she the, – the curtain gets pulled back and, and – and even hitting this passage this past week and thinking about doing some prayer work. In my journal, I sat down and said, okay, God, if I was going to gather all my complaints uh, to you or about you or for you or whatever, is there actually just one complaint? Is there actually just – it feels really strong. Like I got this big case and all these different things I've argued or complained to God about or that have ju- that are justified. But really is it – can I boil down all my complaints in my journal? I journaled since I was in college. So I've got like you know 30 years of journals or 20 or 25 years of journals. Uh, can I boil down all my complaints into like one or two and uh, and with those complaints actually are those complaints getting hung up on those and how justified I feel in them is that actually keeping me uh, from uh, becoming the man you want me to become and so it, I, I don't know if this would be a helpful exercise for you but perhaps but it, it was really helpful for me to uh, to sit down and do some soul work thinking through I, I had this litany of things complaints concerns, whatever that I bring to God. Is there one core complaint that God actually wants to free me from to be able to move forward in my walk with him? And so that was a, that was a personal application for me this past week that maybe for uh, maybe one or two of you would be beneficial as well. Till We Have Faces is a great book to put that in your summer reading list as you head into the summer. Jaime, anything else for me on the cutting room floor before we wrap up? Uh, no, no, but I, I, I want to press – can I press a little bit onto that complaining and grumbling okay, side? Because sure. you, you, I think you did a great work there in, in talking about – how that works internally between oh, yeah, us yeah, yeah. and God, um, but let's let's talk a little bit about how that impacts our relationship with others, complaining and grumbling. How that impacts community, and particularly uh, when it talks about us not complaining or grumbling or arguing. Um, like, how do then like, does that mean we don't have conflict with each other? So, what 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 do you think is the distinction Paul is trying to make there? That's great. Yeah, it's good. I mean, think throughout. You know, in, in, in Paul's imaginary and in his world, his, his imagination, his understanding, like the, 
the Jewish Old Testament was such a big part of it, right? And so particularly the, the, the trapes through the desert, the 40 years in the desert. And the thing that marks the, the, the time in the desert is complaining, arguing, and grumbling against God and against Moses. These are the, these are the turning points that, that kind of mark over and over and over again. So I'm, I'm pretty sure Paul was a good Jew who loves and knows the Old Testament. I'm pretty sure like this is at least forming some of the backdrop of his, what do we not, what do we want a community not to look like? We don't want to spend 40 years wandering around the desert because we complained, argued against God and God's people. And so I think there's a way where, I, I think there's a way where, um, uh, the, the, the grumbling and complaining, there's, uh, part of the question is, what's driving it, right? Is there a, if so entitlement becomes a, becomes a thing in, in community so easily in my own heart where I complain, um, where I grumble, there's, uh, there's ways where, uh, personalities get involved and I start complaining and, uh, and arguing against certain people because they just push my buttons or drive me crazy. I, I think that there's a way, I think there's a way to enter into conflict that is cleaner, mm. uh, less, uh, mixed in terms of motives, less sort of about me, less entitled, uh, a cleaner, Simpler, more clear-headed about like, okay, what's 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 the real problem? Am I basically complaining and arguing, grumbling? Uh, I had a seminary professor call that just it's fellowship in darkness. It's easy to find a whole bunch of people who also want to complain, argue, and grumble about the same thing, and just sort of complain, argue, and spin over coffee, lunch, breakfast, whatever, and uh, have cheap fellowship, cheap connection. I think that's some of why we do it sometimes yeah. in community when we get in other communities who like to grumble and complain with us, so right? We want validation for our dissatisfaction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's an, it's, a, it's an easy way to connect with people. We want, and we're made, for, we're made for connection, and connection is a good thing. But when, when we connect over complaining, grumbling, arguing, that becomes uh, something that becomes fellowship and darkness. So I think there's, I think some of it is is a cheap substitute for genuine community. And I think sometimes uh, the complaining, arguing, grumbling, what it is, it's a it's a top level response to sometimes genuine hurts or things that aren't right uh, that uh, is a it, that are slouching toward not genuine resolution. Not genuine, constructive, moving forward. Not genuine conflict, even right with somebody that you need to have a conflict with and have a hard conversation with. Um, sometimes we complain around the edges. So I feel like those are some quick shots about the ways that work that work out in community. Both people who we fellowship in grumbling, complaining with, and then also how we engage or don't engage genuinely with the problems, issues, or challenges that uh, we're complaining about or grumbling about. And it's a, it, it, rather than actually addressing it, we're just complaining about it and not, not actually willing to roll up our sleeves to be a part of solving it or having that hard conversation we need to have. That's my first crack at that. What do you think? Yeah, uh, no, I, it sounds like what you're saying is that it's not about not having conflict or not right. feeling with it. Not, not, uh, it's not about always feeling satisfied with everything. That's right. It's not shunning dissatisfaction. It's about what do you do with that? That's right. Uh, so I think one of the things you talked about is, is key is when when you make uh, complaining, arguing, or grumbling the foundation both for your existence but also for the community you gather yourself around and you don't do anything with it, that's, uh, that's, that can become a toxic mm-hmm. community. Uh, I think when, when people coalesce around something and we're like, you know, there's something wrong with this. We need to do something with the – you're moving towards right. healthy community, which is the right thing to do. And also I think – uh, what it talks about, what, what I think Paul might be getting at is when you talk about people or about issues but don't do anything with it, don't talk to people, don't talk with people, yep. don't try to build towards health and wholeness in the, uh, in the long term, then, uh, then you, you miss something. You miss something. That's great. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's, that's I think, all the time we have for today. Uh, it's great talking to you, Alex. Great being with you, Jaime. Thanks for joining us today. We're on, on the way.